You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. International success coach and noted author, Constance Arnold, delivers life-changing strategies through her own spiritual practices, as well as with best-selling authors and experts that she interviews. Think, Believe, and Manifest is specially designed to empower your mind and words to work for you and to bring about a life you've been dreaming of. And now, here's Constance Arnold. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. And of course, you know who I am. I am Constance Arnold, host of the Think, Believe, and Manifest talk show. And today I am broadcasting from uh, Simply Beautiful. I'm looking out of my window again, Atlanta, Georgia. So grateful that you've joined me from all over the world. And I can truly say with all of the faith that's on the inside of me, guess what? Your life will never, ever be the same again after listening to this recording. Well, I pray that you're making a decision to really create an awesome day for yourself and uh, just so grateful that every week for nine years, my goodness, that you have allowed me to come uh, into your heart, into your home. And for that, I am so grateful. I have a powerful show for you today, so, you know, put on your seatbelt, pull your car over, get out your iPad, get out your old school pad and ink pen, because we have a lady that's going to really change your life, Dr. Meg J, and uh, just get ready for it. So don't forget to visit my website, fulfillingyourpurpose.com. Also go to LOARadioNetwork.com and check out the new Law of Attraction magazine. And remember, I would love to meet you in person next year in February 2019 on the Law of Attraction cruise. I'm going to be giving you more details about that later. So let's go ahead. Let's see. What do I want to do? I'm just going to go ahead and bring my guest on. Let me give her a proper introduction. Uh, Dr. Meg J is a clinical psychologist uh, and a narrative nonfiction writer. She has so many accolades, but she is the author of Supernormal, the untold story of adversity and resilience. And she explores the secret inner world of those who are resilient and what their characteristics are. Uh, She has been featured in and on Forbes Magazine, Psychology Today, The New York Times, Oprah Magazine, CBS News, Los Angeles Times, and NPR. And this woman is really, really powerful. So, Dr. Meg J., welcome to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Thank you, Constance. It's such a pleasure to be here, and what a lovely introduction. It ain't nothing but the truth. It's my story, (laughs) and I'm sticking to it. But let me explain to our audience how I found this powerful woman. Uh, One of my clients who lives in Australia said, Constance, My husband just found this book. I don't even know if her husband even listens to this show. He just found this book and his life has changed. I'm like, well, what is that book? So, uh, so Dr. Meg, he told me about you. So I Googled you really quickly 
and read it. I'm like, oh my God, I've got to track her down like a hound dog, which is, <laughs> which, is, which is what I did. And I had the opportunity to meet this guy. He came to the U.S. for the first time from Australia and we had coffee together. And all he talked about was how this book had changed his huh. life. How amazing. I mean, yeah. that is what writers get up every day and write in hopes of hearing. And that's, that's, I'm very touched and appreciative that you shared that with me. Well, let's go ahead and talk about your book, uh, The Supernormal. Where do you want to begin? I'm going to let you start. I have tons of questions. Okay. Why, why did you write this book? Uh, well, I wrote that. So Supernormal is about um, people who grew up with hard times, with common but significant adversities, and then they grew up to have better lives as adults than maybe they had as kids. And that's not an easy thing to do, but people do manage to do it every single day. And what I've learned in listening to people um, in my office, adults who have backgrounds or childhoods that other people might not guess by looking at them, is that so many of them felt really alone with that experience. Um, and so I wanted to write a book that said, hey, if you you're not as alone as you think you are, that if we look at many people like yourself who grew up in a tough situation with maybe a parent who was a substance abuser or with bullying or a parent or a sibling who had mental illness. And we put all these stories and all these experiences together. You realize that growing up with adversity is um, actually very common. And so is the experience of trying to make your way out of that. Well, I, I think I read or, or heard you say that 75% of us experience adversity before the age of 20. Correct. Yes. I, I believe that. <laughs> it, well, of course, the therapists know this is true because we, we hear about this all day, every day. And there was actually, it was just in the news yesterday, an enormous study, you know, 10 years long, thousands upon thousands of participants um, around the country. And the, those findings were just reaffirmed. I think the percentage they came up with was about 70%. But, um, but the point being that when you look at the most common adversities, and I could rattle off the 10 most common if you want me to. I do. Okay. Um, I'll come back to that in just a sec. But when you look at the most <laughs> common uh, adversities that taken together, um, they're actually more common than not. Okay. So here are the 10, if I can remember them all. Mm -hmm. Um. So uh, losing a parent or a sibling through death or divorce, substance abuse such as alcoholism or other addictions in the home, um, bullying, uh, growing up with a parent or a sibling who's mentally ill, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, um, having a parent in jail, growing up with neglect, or um, now I'm forgetting one. Okay. Huh. We, we get it. You get it. <laughs> yes. And, and that's not the, the end of the list. So, but the, the point is, is a lot of times books are, they just look at adult children of alcoholics, or they just look at growing up with sexual abuse. Um, oh, I remember the 10th, growing up with domestic violence. So witnessing domestic violence, usually among, you know, parents or partners in the home. So, um, so people see themselves as, minorities as different from other people or, or from some supposed average or standard. But if you look at all the adversities together, most people grow up with something or with more than one something, um, as often adversities kind of cluster together. 
And so for listeners who've grown up with adversity, which has really impacted and shaped their lives, how can they begin to not let that control them, but really begin to shift out of that and change? Well, what, you know, Supernormal, the, the title, it, it, came, it came from an article that I read. It was actually a really old article about resilience. And they said that people who grew up and grew out of adversity were supernormal. And what I liked about the title is that it hints at how heroic it is um, to overcome early adversity and to, to really triumph over it and become an, a, a better adult than maybe the ones you saw when you were a kid. And so part of Supernormal is about seeing that you're not alone. Um, most of my clients feel damaged or different because of their early experiences. But to say you're not abnormal, you're not alone, you're supernormal, and you're actually in some very good company that in the book, as you know, I talk about, the book is not about celebrities, but I do talk about public figures who have this kind of heroic narrative. And I hope that everyday people like your client's husband, the man in Australia, will read it and they'll see themselves there and they'll say, wow, I never thought of myself as super normal before, but maybe I am. Because, you know, when you have, you know, that type of adversity, many times people are shame or they don't talk about it or everything is a secret. So what could you say to listeners who may have experienced that and they, they do feel alone and isolated? Yes. Yeah, so statistically speaking, you're not alone. Uh, you may be isolated, but you know, ask yourself if you're keeping secrets. So just like you said, Constance, for a variety of reasons from what fear does to our brain. So think about it when You've ever heard, uh, you know, the expression of being scared speechless. Mm -hmm. um, so when we're afraid, the speech center shuts down. And that might have been from, you know, way back in evolution of, you know, if you're afraid and you're hiding in the bushes, you don't want to shriek and a lion knows that you're there. So for very young children, but even for teens, if they're living in a fearful situation, they their speech center um, tends to shut down. The, the default is just don't say anything. And then, of course, that's reinforced by our culture where there's shame attached to having problems in the home or in your community or in your family. And so oftentimes people don't begin to talk about these experiences until they're clearly out out of them until they're out of the house or until they're adults. But that's often when these feelings of feeling different and damaged begin to change when they can share them with other people and realize I'm not so different. I'm not so damaged. It usually starts with sharing your secrets with somebody. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a friend or a partner or a minister or, you know, whatever feels comfortable to you. Well, you know, when we share our stuff, or even if we hear somebody on television who says, well, this is what happened to me. I mean, I really admire them. Right. Absolutely. And I think that is, um, you know, most people have that experience where they realize they talk about what they grew up with. And, you know, rather than having other people turn away, that they really lean toward them and say, wow, you're amazing. I didn't even know that about you. Um, or I can see, you know, how you became such a strong person or a determined person or a compassionate person. And so, you know, not everybody gives us the response that we would like. It, it's smart to sort of 
choose wisely in terms of who you first share with. But um, that is often where the healing begins. I won't bore you with all the studies, but many, many, many studies have been done about it's never too late to share your secrets. And that when we do that, um, some of the negative effects of keeping secrets, it has an impact on not just our mental health, but physical health too, but that that can unwind or be undone by sharing those experiences with other people. Well, you know, I've, I've also heard you say that it takes strength and courage to rise above the things that have happened to us. Expound on that for listeners. Um, you know, I think most of my clients who are super normal, um, they're very strong people. And I think sometimes they take that for granted and, and don't realize until they hear me say it of, wow, you've been really strong. They don't realize how important their own strength has been, that it's not easy to wake up. You know, if, if we think about the 10 adversities that I rattled off earlier, none of those are one-time events. Mm-hmm. You know, having an alcoholic parent is not a problem for one night. It's a problem every Saturday or every night. Um, same goes for bullying or for mental illness in the home. And so it takes a lot of strength to wake up every day and face problems that you can't make go away and that you may not be able to get away from for quite some time, but to find a way to keep going. And so most supernormals describe themselves as fighters at heart. They're very determined people. They're very strong people. And part of supernormal is about seeing that, you know, in the heroic narrative saying, this it this is heroic. It, it hasn't been magic that this happened. It came through your own strength in fighting back against your circumstances. Wow. You know, just that word supernormal, I mean, it has such power to it, you know, when you speak. And what are some other characteristics of people who are supernormal? Uh, so the book is kind of set up so that each chapter gives you a different slice of it. But so it starts with, um, origin stories. So, you know, obviously kind of, uh, by definition, most super normal, super heroic people, they have their origin story. They have something that was difficult in their lives or something difficult that happened. Many of them kept it a secret, but then they coped in some in some fairly common ways. So one is through fighting back, like I just talked about, deciding mm-hmm. that they were going to, if they couldn't control what was going wrong, they were at least going to control their own life moving forward. Um, they tend to be creative problem solvers. So um, they actually make good use of the flight instinct. And so you'll often hear people say that they were really masterful growing up at, at escaping their problems, whether that was through reading or through being at a neighbor's house or a friend's house, or whether that was escaping to the army later or to college. But they're very creative, both at how to fight back, but also at how to get away. Um, they tend to see themselves and they tend to have uh, kind of a pretty healthy amount of uh, self-control, meaning that they see themselves as in control of themselves and their own destinies. Um, but the nice thing about what we know about resilience or about being super normal is there isn't a secret quality that you either have it or you don't have it. Um And that's a really, everybody wants to know what's the secret personality trait or what's the secret um, sort of genetic lottery that will make, help me or my child be resilient. But actually, 
there's no one thing that makes someone resilient as much as it is the ability to take whatever strengths you have and fight back against the situation that you're in, even though it's difficult, and to find a way out of it over time. Well, you know, that's so encouraging, you know, because, you know, you and I both talk to people and they seem to be just immersed in their childhood and sort of stuck. Why do you think that some people stay stuck and others don't? You know, that is the $64,000 question, and I'm going to answer it with a parable. It's like answering, you know, a riddle with a puzzle, but um, it's like such a great parable, and I have, so I have to share it. But it was a, a minister shared it with me when I was talking to him about Supernormal, and it goes like this, that there is a minister, and he has, you know, he's in his office, and he's talking to two adult brothers, and they both grew up, you know, in the same house with the same dad who was an abusive alcoholic. And one of the brothers grew up to be an abusive alcoholic, and the other brother grew up to be an abstinent man and a model parent. And the minister says to the uh, brothers, he says, you know, how do you think you came to be who you are? And they both said the same thing. They both said, given who my father was, how could I not? Hmm. And one thing I do think that you see di differentiates, and I, I don't want to sort of blame people who are stuck or, you know, make it sound easier than it is. But what I like about that parable is that it shows where some people see the inevitability of sameness or, you know, history has to repeat itself. Supernormals tend to talk about a determination to, to do life differently, that they're going to be a different sort of parent or a different sort of person or you know, make the world a different sort of place than the ones than you know, what they knew when they were younger. And I don't, I wouldn't pretend that's all it takes. I mean, some of us have better luck than others along the way. But, um, but you do hear that a lot that people who make their way out say I was determined to grow up, and they could imagine that they could be better or different or make the world better or different. You know, you know, that's so interesting. I, I heard you share about Vi Viola Davis. Uh -huh. uh, yes. Share, share her story with the listeners or any other story that would be exhibit A of what that would look like in the lives of listeners. Well, Viola Davis has a great story. And it was actually she started talking about her childhood somewhat recently it was actually when i was writing supernormal and there was a little write-up about her in the new yorker and she she literally talked about herself as a hero that she and that was really where you know supernormal came from is that a lot of my clients there was this sort of heroic narrative within them mm -hmm. this sort of sense that i need to sort of rise above and fight back and, you know, kind of do better for the world. And so anyway, she grew up very, very poor, if I'm remembering all the details correctly. Her father was an alcoholic, I believe maybe also abusive. And she lived in a white neighborhood, and there was a fair amount of kind of racial violence toward uh, she and her sister. And that she would walk to school every day with, I think, like knitting needles in her pocket for protection. And at home was not such a safe place either. Um, she and her sister both used their flight instincts or found their way out through acting that she said she really channeled herself into acting to just 
be a different person for part of the day when she was acting or to imagine that that would be her way out. She'd go to New York or LA. And then of course um, she did. And that she saw the heroic narrative there of rising above the difficulties that, that she grew up with. Um, and of course is, you know, has every award on the planet and well-deserved. She's amazing. Um, and she also talks about how the last struggle for her, as is often true for supernormals and superheroes, was finding love, was letting herself not have to be a hero all the time, but to kind of come home at the end of the day and imagine that someone would be there for her. Well, that's very powerful. You, you know, this is the Law of Attraction Radio Network, so a lot of people are listening in because they have goals and intentions and uh, and really want to achieve great and awesome things and great manifestations. So, so what role do you feel that adversity in childhood impacts a person's ability to to, to manifest their intentions, their goals, et cetera. You mean what role does childhood have in uh -huh. sort of whether childhood we can, adversity, whether we can actualize or, or uh -huh. maximize, you know, I mean, I think it goes back to the parable of some people would say that it really limited them that, you know, maybe they could have been, should have been more if not for X, Y, Z. And other people will say, you know, I, I wouldn't be, the person I am, or I wouldn't be as compassionate or as determined or as successful if I hadn't, you know, seen what mattered early on. And so, you know, I think that there's actually good news in these, in these non-answers in that, yeah. that it's, um, is that it's possible that, that people do do it every day that uh, I wrote a lot in Supernormal. One of the most important chapters to me in the book comes towards the end. And it's about the cycle of violence or sort of the cycle of dysfunction, which we hear a lot about and does exist. Mm -hmm. But we actually know that a lot of the research that supports these cycles you know, it's, it hasn't been the best research conducted, had all sort of confounding factors. And that just as many people who repeat the things that they saw are able to, like Viola Davis or like Bill de Blasio, who I wrote in the book, or like the one of the brothers in the parable I mentioned, they're able to say, I'm going to go the other way. And I really wanted people to hear that and, and see the science that was and wasn't there to support the cycle of whatever to free themselves from that. Because many of my clients feel like, well, I can't be a healthy parent because I didn't have a healthy parent. Um, you know, I can't be, I couldn't possibly be a good person because I wasn't raised by good people. And none of those things are true or have to be true. But sometimes um, I think people need to to hear it from a so-called expert who says, you know, that you can be freed from that narrative, from that cycle. So I know you talk about the difference between resilience and grit. Explain that to listeners. What does that mean? Well, you know, in, so the subtitle of Supernormal is the untold story of adversity and resilience. And the untold story is that adversity is a lot more common than we think. And resilience is a lot more complicated than we, than we think. <laughs> so that may not be what your listeners want to hear, except all those resilient people out there will say, thank you, someone finally said it. Because I think it's a mistake 
mistake to imagine that you can grow up or that someone grows up in a house where the parent is addicted to opiates and the, the, you know, brother has mental illness and they're living, you know, on very limited means and that all they need is some grit and they're just going to get right on through that. Um, that there's a lot more to the story of growing up with those problems and getting through those problems than grit. So the way I talk about it, because people ask me that question sometimes is, you know, grit is used, uh, the way it's used, people talk about it, it's passion and perseverance. It's sort of optional of, I'm going to get gritty when I have a final exam, or it's tough going at my job, or I don't really want to get up and run this morning, or I don't want to work, you know, those extra 20 hours, but I really need to, you kind of get gritty and dig in. But the resilience in the way that I'm talking about it, and the problems that I'm talking about it, it's, it isn't, um, that I'm talking about living in fight or flight, which isn't optional. It feels like a matter of survival. And so um, Supernormal is really about all the rest of the story that goes around grit, what causes people to be gritty, how it feels to be gritty for 10, 15, 20 years, and how there has to be more to resilience than that, or else we're just digging in all the time and not doing some of the things that help us to, to kind of survive and thrive over the long run. And lastly, I know you have another appointment. Um, what role does spirituality, God, higher power, have uh, in in common with the people who are supernatural? You know, it has as much or as little of a role as, you know, is meaningful to you. And what I, what I really liked about or what I've appreciated learning when I was researching all the studies about resilience as I was writing about and thinking about my clients is that years ago, probably 10 or even 20 by now, researchers were looking for that short list of what are what are the the magic kind of bullets that help us be resilient. And they actually didn't find a short list. They found a long list. And the long list is anything from at least average intelligence to an engaging personality, self-control, determination, spirituality, um, having people who care. So there's a pretty long list of things out there that we can use to be resilient to fight back or to survive and thrive in tough circumstances. And the, the nice thing about knowing is that it's a long list is that it's not just you either have it or you don't, or you're in the, the group that's fortunate or you're not. Um, but that, you know, most people have at least something on that long list. And, and I talk about that long list in Supernormal. And so it's really a matter of figuring out what am I going to draw on? Where do I draw strength? Maybe that's spirituality. Maybe it's my support system. Um, maybe it's my own determination and cobbling together as much of those areas as you can to, to move ahead in life. Wow. So, so what does it feel like a, a Dr. J to have you know, all of these people that are just loving your work, they are awakening to the fact that, wow, I can change. What does that feel like for you? Well, I mean, Constance, that is <laughs> writers get up every day and write in hopes that they get that email or I do that, you know, that what makes it for me is to get that email where this and I got one I this morning, I believe, or last night where somebody says, 
your book spoke to me like nothing had before. And Mm -hmm. that's what I write for. You know, as a therapist, I'm driven to help people understand and feel understood. And so when someone writes to me and says, I felt really understood by your book, then I feel like that, um, that I've helped someone that I've done something right. And that feels really good. And that's why I'm so glad that I shared the story. I am uh, too. (laughs) I really appreciate that. About Jonathan in Australia. So how can people get your book? I mean, are you open for speaking engagement? What's your website and your contact info? Sure. So uh, my book is everywhere, should be everywhere. It's certainly everywhere on the internet, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores. I mean, if you're if your local bookstore doesn't have a copy, they can they can get one. So it's you know it's popular press, widely distributed. Um, I do do speaking engagements and all that information, contact information is on my website, which is easy to remember. It's megj.com, m-e-g-j-a-y.com. So, what would be your last parting words to people, listeners all over the world, Doctor J? Um, you know, uh, maybe I'll end the, well, here, I'm going to reach for it. I'm going to end the book or end our conversation in the same way that I ended the book and I will try to get the sentence right. Um, and that is as often as you can be good to yourself and to those you encounter. It may not be true that everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle, but as we know by now, a great many people are. Very powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Con. Well, hey, guys, stay tuned. And then I'm going to come back and share my own personal uh, story of uh, adversity and some things that I did to to really shift and change that. So stay tuned after these quick commercials. I'm going to be right back. Do you have an upcoming event where you need a dynamic speaker? Constance Arnold is a sought-after keynote speaker that will enlighten the entire audience with proven strategies that are aligned with your organization's vision and mission. An experienced speaker for major Fortune 500 companies, Constance has entertained audiences with inspiring change. Constance would love to make your next event an extraordinary success. Contact her today at Constance at FulfillingYourPurpose.com. For the past 30 years, Constance Arnold has coached clients globally in the areas of relationships, wealth, and career. Her vast clinical background gives her extraordinary understanding of human behavior to accelerate manifestation. Every coaching client receives proven action plans to create change from the inside out. Constance will be right by your side. Talk to her today at Constance at fulfillingyourpurpose.com. Well, guys, I am back and... Was that awesome or what? I tell you, Dr. Meg J, and she is speaking nothing but the truth. Wow, so amazing. So now I'm going to share with you uh, about how to become resilient in spite of adversity, childhood adversity. Before I do, let me just share about my brother. I know a lot of you... uh, have been praying, and I want to thank you for that. And uh, he is coming along, and I'm grateful for that. So I tell you, um, when I 
heard about Dr. Meg J, I realized I so aligned with her because all of my training has been around really dealing with your unresolved stuff. And most of our stuff does come from childhood so that you can live and become and walk in and shine that heal light in your life to help others. And I have a saying that when you don't deal with your stuff, your stuff deals with you. And, you know, I believe that when God reveals a thing, he ha- He heals it and that everybody has their own pathway to healing. And many people just don't want to deal with it. But uh, if you don't, it, it stops, it hinders, it slows down you being fully who you are. And so many of you are really desiring to manifest and, you know, go to next level living. And I really believe that this is step one. You know, uh, I'm going to do a seminar, probably a two or three, three day seminar here in Atlanta entitled Healing Your Soul Wounds or, you know, how to heal your soul so that you can create wealth and love and anything else that you desire. Because ladies and gentlemen, it is our soul issues that are really holding us back. What do I mean by that? Uh, You know, in your soul, you have your memories, your past, your beliefs, your experiences. So those things have become so large and many times so overwhelming It really, as I said just a few minutes ago, it stops, it hinders, and it slows down, you know, even the law of attraction that you may want to utilize. And so why not uh, deal with it? Uh, I was uh, on a panel and they asked me the number one thing, what would be the number one thing that I would say? (coughs) Excuse me. And I said, it would be dealing with your childhood stuff. So you're not alone. Uh, And so why not say, okay, God, these are the cards that I've been dealt. And the question that you have to ask yourself is, what am I going to do with the life that I have left? That's the question. So we're not here to blame, but we're just here to become aware, to acknowledge, to identify, and then change. All right. So I'm going to tell you my own story, but I want to give you a little teaching first. So, you know, in any family, in any dysfunctional family, and all of us came from some form of dysfunction, you know, like Dr. Meg said, um, it might be something as small as your father was a workaholic and was never emotionally available for you. That's not small. Or maybe your mom worked two jobs and you felt abandoned. All of this stuff grows up uh, on the inside of us and it becomes large and looming if we don't deal with it. So let me just share quickly these four different, I'm not going to say personality types, but these four different roles that exist in every family and see if you can identify which one you are. Okay, the first role they call them they they call them roles or responsibilities. Uh, 
The first role in any family is the hero child. That's who I was. That's who I am. The hero child is responsible. And ultimately, that child, when they grow up, brings great self-esteem to the family. Usually, hero children are very hardworking. Uh, they are achievement goal-oriented. You know, they've got to be number one. Uh, they seek ach- achievement in any form. They are success-oriented, etc. And younger hero children, when you're growing up, uh, you may be involved in all kind of extracurricular activities at school, making all A's, uh, look at me, look how smart I am, I'm the greatest cheerleader, I'm the football player, etc. And so you're hardworking, you're driven, you're performance-based, accomplished-oriented, you're a perfectionist, and you probably are the oldest child. And so, but what happened is there's a constant struggle for achievement, and essentially, we sort of become addicted to performing, or achieving because even though we have lots of success on the outside, we get a lot of attention on the outside and a lot of praise on the inside. We feel inadequate and insecure. And boy, that just nails it down for me just right on. So what happens is eventually the hero personality or child, when they are an adult, takes on too much responsibility, doesn't know how to say no, is a people pleaser, spreads themselves too thin, and it leads to guilt and shame. But really deep down on the inside, the hero child feels inadequate and not good enough. O-M-G. That describes me to a T. So like Dr. Meg was saying, so this is me. I was the first African-American in my community to get a master's degree. You're talking about pressure. In my family, the first one to get a degree. You know, my father always said, you know, education is the way. And, you know, that's what I did. And boy, did I perform all A's, master's degree by the time I was 22, just perform, perform, perform. And so, but I was a perfectionist. I was performance-based. That meant that I felt like I had to make all A's. I couldn't make any mistakes. I had to be perfect, the perfect size, the perfect daughter, the perfect um employee. Uh, I did not allow myself to fail. I look good on the outside, really smart, traveling the world. Um, uh, I did not share my secrets. And, you know, as I said earlier, you're only as sick as your secrets. But I kept repeating the same um the same stuff, the same pattern. And that's one way that you know that you really have some adversity in your life because you keep doing the same thing. And so I got sick and tired of that. And you do have to become sick and tired of it. And I, what I did was I went to support groups. I got counseling and coaching. So now those things that were my weakness they're really my strength. Like 
I don't have to be perfect. And so that means I'm rather fearless. Let's give it a try. You know, let's go for it. Um, I feel great about who I am on the inside. My worth is not based on what I do. It's based on who I am. I learned to just love myself for who I am. No matter what I look like, no matter what my performance is, I learned to not be overly responsible for everybody else. I learned how to say no. So can you see how really becoming aware of what I was doing and just going to those support groups, by the way, I'm going to highly recommend that you do that. Really, those weak areas became my strength. Okay. So let's take a look at the second, let's see, where do I want to go? Let's take a look at the second uh, personality or role in the family. It's the mascot or the placator. So the mascot is the person in the family who's the joker, always clowning around, always cracking jokes. I mean, he or she is the life of the party. You know, they are known for entertaining. If you have a party, they're going to keep everybody laughing. That's the way my sister was, you know, and and they do that uh, many times because they don't really want to deal with their own stuff. So so they use their sense of humor really as a defense mechanism to put off dealing with the pain, with fear or any other emotional stuff, you know, that might be causing them trouble. How many of you know people and every time you talk to them, they just joking. They just keep you laughing. They crack you up every time you you talk to them. But as a result, they have a lot of feelings that have remained unprocessed and unresolved. And, and, and so they sort of find themselves, the mascots do, find themselves uh, in a, a, an arrested state of emotional development and really not able to deal with life. And so their sense of humor becomes their most defining characteristics and what they really fear deep down on the inside is a sense of abandonment because they've never dealt with their stuff. Can anybody see that? And I can say that about my sister. She's made her transition. She, oh boy, she was so funny. All of my friends just like, your sister is so funny. I mean, you would laugh the entire time you were with her, but then she had a lot of which we talked about, and her daughters know about a lot of unresolved stuff that she had not dealt with. So how many of you think that you're the mascot and you really need to shift and change that and begin to acknowledge and become aware of, of your pain and any fear that you have so that you can what so that you can live a powerful life because the whole thing um like Dr. Meg was saying we all grew up in some form some form of adversity some form of childhood stuff that is still um in our DNA, uh, we might have residues of it, and we may be completely unaware that it's there. But you can look at your behavior patterns. What is that one thing that you said that uh, you would stop, but you you never have? What is that one thing that you said you're not going to do again, 
but but you do. And so I just want you to think about it. You know, almost everybody I coach, I have them to really go in and deal with their inner stuff. Because if you don't, it will impact everything that you're really trying to manifest. Okay, let's go uh, to this third row, which is the lost child. Oh, my goodness, the adjuster. So so those who fit in this role or category are people who don't like to rock the boat. They're quiet. They're loners. Uh, they have the highest rate of suicide, by the way, because they hold everything in. They don't really share uh, their feelings. They They really feel invisible. I've had some clients tell me that growing up, that they would like be in the corner somewhere just quiet and sort of invisible. So they went, when they become adults, they don't let people get close to them. Uh, they probably are going out of their way to please others at work. Uh, they, they are saying yes, even though they may want to say, no, I'm not going to stay late and work overtime. Like I said, they feel invisible. They hold all of their feelings in. And, and to them, it feels safer to be unheard and not seen. Had a client said, you know, I just want to be in the background. So whenever... Um, someone would acknowledge her she would just like no I just want to be in the background because she had taken on that lost child a role in her adult life and so like I said has the highest rate of suicide and depression why because 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 ladies and gentlemen anytime you hold in feelings and a lot of stuff and you're alone you were never created to be alone and the bible says that it's not good that man or woman should be alone isolation is just the beginning of depression you hold stuff in you were never created for that and so basically the lost child just takes on stuff just takes stuff over and over and over again and so really I feel like the lost child really takes on the unspoken rules of a of a family system, which is don't talk. That means don't tell nobody what you're really feeling. Don't feel. You're not supposed to feel that way and you don't have needs. You know, I, I could spend a whole show on those three. Don't talk. Don't feel. You don't have needs, and I'm going to even say don't trust. And so the lost child is usually like a loner and and just sort of disappears into the background so that they won't cause problems. So amazing. And and they read a lot. They make daydream um, on the train. They're, They're always into their books. They deny that they have any feelings because they just want to be quiet and, and be detached. So you can see just from me saying that and talking about the lost child that over time, baby, that's not going to work. And, and, you know, I know so many men 
and, and and my heart goes out to men because men are supposed to be strong. Society has cast them as, you know, you got to take care of the family, make a lot of money, be successful, uh, meet all of your wife's needs, be the great dad. And, and I know so many men who are hurting, who who really may drown themselves in sports and business and working on the computer. But really, a lot of men I know feel very alone and their their role is really the lost child. And so for all of my men who are listening to me, and I have a very large uh, male listening audience, I want you to really begin to take care of yourself emotionally and to find a, a safe and a vulnerable place where you can kind of really get what's on the inside of you out. Because guess what? You'll be a better husband. Or you'll be a, a, a better businessman. You'll be a better dad. And you'll be able to walk more fully into who you are. There's so much shame around men getting help because you guys are supposed to know the answers. But in real life, it doesn't work. Everybody got that? And, you know, even sexually uh, with, with men growing up, I mean, the percentage of men who were sexually molested, the percentage of men whose dads, a crit was critical of them or wasn't there for them or didn't even have a dad. The percentage of men who feel inadequate every day. So guys, come on. Don't be ashamed. Go and get some help and, and change and, and be a world changer. Okay. And the last one is the scapegoat. And, and this role or this personality is is acting out. And, and they're usually known as the problem child or, or, or the problem person in the family. They're like rebellious, don't box me in. Uh, I am not going to let society tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I blankety blank want to do. Uh, they may blame the government. Uh, this is why this is not happening for me. Usually uh, they are involved in some kind of drugs it might be food overeating and they are really anger and many times have rage so so the uh scapegoat usually has a very high rate like i said of addiction and death because they live a very very wild and reckless life and many times they appear to be irresponsible. I just want to be free. I don't want to work a nine to five and they're always in trouble. And they're pretending like, well, I don't need any help. I got it all together. But really, uh, they are the rebel in the family and they really need to deal with their anger. And I always say that rage and rage is where you just go off on people, right? Rage is where if some you hold it in for years and years. And then one day you're like a Coca-Cola bottle out in the sun and somebody says something to you and you just go off. So the scapegoat is the, the personality that is more likely to be involved in, in a homicide or a shooting or, or something like that. 
And so here are these four different roles that we all have been placing. Can you identify which one you are? Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, Constance, I'm all of them. No, which dominant one do you think you are? And can you see how Dr. Meg J shared that if you would take that issue and get the help that you need, uh, where can you get help? Free support groups, free 12-step groups, coaching and counseling. And, and I always say that you need to know that that God wants to heal whatever is going on on the inside of you. God has a pathway for your emotional and psychological healing. But you first have to be aware, create new beliefs around who you are. Once you do that, you'll change your behavior. Once you do that, you'll change your life. And then once you do that, you change the world. But you have to make a decision. I I refuse to be captive anymore. I am sick and tired and sick and tired of repeating this kind of behavior. And I'm going to create a new life. And you never do that without going on the inside first. And, uh, you know, all of us have had adversity, but why not make a decision today? I'm going to make adversity serve me. I, I told people, and I think I've shared it on this show, never allow losses to take from you. Always gain from adversity. So you may say, okay, adversity, This is what happened to me in childhood, but this is what I'm going to do now. Okay, adversity, you know, I'm going to take from you. I'm going to gain from you. You know, so when you remain a victim, poor me, this is what happened to me, yada, yada, yada. And you never make the decision. Every change begins with a decision. You can say right now, this is it. I heard Dr. Meg J. I'm going to get her book or I'm going to work with Constance or I'm going to go to these free support groups. You've heard me say time and time again, next to my relationship with God, with Christ, my support groups and my coaching is what saved me. It's what healed my soul. It healed my emotions. It healed my thinking. And that was the platform for me for a success. Because what happens is if you don't do that, you're self-sabotage. Can everybody do see that? So I really want you to go and study up on these four roles that are in family. See which one you are and then make a decision that I'm going to get the help that I need. And many times, even when it comes to believing God or believing that the universal law of attraction, law of vibration, law of radiation will work for you stems from your childhood. Maybe you may think I'm not good enough. That could happen to Rhonda Byrne, but, you know, that could never happen to me. And so... I just think it's so essential that you begin, and I'm just speaking again, really to men, 
Guys, you are really dropping in my spirit right now. Really get the help that you need. No shame in your game. And boy, on the other end of that pain is phenomenal success. Phenomenal joy, peace, gratitude, uh, what else, purpose. And I am so excited for you. Hey guys, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) This has been so good. Listen to this again and again and pray and, and ask the Spirit. Spirit, show me. Bring back to my remembrance. Remind me. Show me the area where I need healing and have the courage to go and ask for what you need. That's the sign of a healthy person to ask for what you need. Well, send me your emails at Constance at FulfillingYourPurpose.com and visit me on my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and uh, put in Constance Arnold and check me out. I'm so excited for you. I believe that this show is really just the beginning of some deep inner changes uh, on the inside of you. And I'm going to let you know about my upcoming, uh, I'm going to call it a workshop for right now. And it's going to be healing your soul. Because boy, when you heal your soul, and it's certainly a process, all kinds of manifestations that have been held up will begin to just pop up in your life. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. As I say every week, you may not know it or feel it or believe it, but guess what? You're surrounded by the love of God. And of course, you know that I love and adore you. And I want you to think and to say this, something good is going to happen to me and through me today. Make it a great week. Thank you for listening to Think, Believe, and Manifest. Constance Arnold will be back next week with another great show just for you. For more information, please visit fulfillingyourpurpose.com.